launching her new show today. Coming up next, uh, her guests are Joe Bean Keller and Teresa Rayford. They discuss police accountability and street violence. Also, Air Cascadia comes up at 10, 10 o'clock at 10.15. It's Flashpoints, and then it's the Dirt Bag at 11 o'clock, all happening here on KBOO Portland. Stay tuned. KBOO Community Radio is proud to co-sponsor the comedy show Mental Health at the Mic on Wednesday, October 10th at 7 p.m. at the Helium Comedy Club in Portland. Mental Health at the Mic is a comedy show to benefit stand-up comedy classes and socialization programs for Portlanders with mental health challenges and experiences. This two-hour comedy event will feature several stand-up comics who will perform jokes about their mental health experiences. Again, that's Mental Health at the Mic on Wednesday, October 10th at 7 p.m. at the Helium Comedy Club, 1510 Southeast 9th Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. KBOO Community Radio is proud to co-sponsor the comedy show Mental Health at the Mic on Wednesday, October 10th at 7 p.m. at the Helium Comedy Club in Portland. Mental Health at the Mic is a comedy show to benefit stand-up comedy classes and socialization programs for Portlanders with mental health challenges and experiences. This two-hour comedy event will feature several stand-up comics who will perform jokes about their mental health experiences. Again, that's Mental Health at the Mic on Wednesday, October 10th at 7 p.m. at the Helium Comedy Club, 1510 Southeast 9th Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. KBOO Community Radio is proud to co-sponsor the comedy show Mental Health at the Mic on Wednesday, October 10th at 7 p.m. at the Helium Comedy Club in Portland. Mental Health at the Mic is a comedy show to benefit stand-up comedy classes and socialization programs for Portlanders with mental health challenges and experiences. This two-hour comedy event will feature several stand-up comics who will perform jokes about their mental health experiences. Again, that's Mental Health at the Mic on Wednesday, October 10th at 7 p.m. at the Helium Comedy Club, 1510 Southeast 9th Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. KBOO Community Radio is proud to co-sponsor the film screening of Mother, Daughter, Sister on Saturday, October 13th from 4 to 6 p.m. at Cinema 21 in Portland. Mother, Daughter, Sister exposes the Burmese military's practice of using rape as a weapon of war. Testimonies from survivors, witnesses, and activists explore the far-reaching impact of sexual violence upon women and communities as they call for justice and a unified stand for an end to impunity. A panel discussion will follow the film and includes the filmmaker and local community leaders and activists. Again, that's Mother, Daughter, Sister on Saturday, October 13th from 4 to 6 p.m. at Cinema 21. 616 Northwest 21st Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events.
are listening to KBOO Portland. This is The Radio Activist. It's our first official show. I am Lisa Loving. Our guests today are Joe Bean Keller. Hello, Lisa. Hello. And Teresa Rayford. Hello. Thanks for being here. Two of, um, I'm going to put it out there as two of the most experienced and important um, police accountability activists in our area going back decades, going back decades. Um, This is a show about activism. This is a show about getting active, getting involved. And the goal of this show is that you'll listen and you'll do something productive. So I just want to jump in here. Um, um, Teresa, I think you have a headache right now. Is it possible? Oh, I'm good. Okay, I'm good. what's going on with you today? Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, really. I looked at the update that you did in regards to the show, and you mentioned that there were 10 shootings just in the last week or the last month, and um, just things like that for someone who, you know, September 26th was the anniversary of my nephew's death, um, someone who was inspired to activate following uh, his murder, um, it's a trigger. It's it's that time of the year again. It's like every year around this time, we're dealing with an uptick and an uprise in shootings. And, you know, being an advocate in our community, um, being there for families, it's not always easy. We don't have a lot of the partnerships and, and, and relationships that it takes to kind of offset our burden of this work. And so, you know, you mentioned the headache. It's a stomach ache. It's a soul ache. The stomach ache, the soul ache. Um, Joe Bean Keller, I bet that a lot of people who are listening to this show, listening to these airwaves, maybe are not completely familiar with your entire life experience. You've been in Portland a few minutes. It's been a few minutes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, um, I first learned about you on the internet back in the 1990s. This blows my mind, okay? okay. And the way I think of you is um, you had two beloved sons. Um, one of these sons. Now, I've, I've been reading articles again about Deontay Keller. I feel like in some of the articles that I'm reading now, Deontay Keller was shot by a Portland police officer, shot to death in 1996, I believe. Correct, February 28th. Right, mm-hmm. um, right, right in the neighborhood where I live. Right, you know, it, it, this was the first time that I realized there was a thing. And yes, I was just woefully ignorant. But um, can you? And again, but you took your outrage and you created a website. And I'm, I'm saying this. This is one of the first websites, the first activist websites I ever saw. So I want to <laughs> check in with you. Um, uh, we are we are very familiar with the work that Teresa Rayford has done, um, and I I definitely want to be talking with you in depth in just a few minutes. I want to introduce people to you though, Joe Bean Keller, um, because you're I feel as if you're a musician, I feel as if you're a health a health expert, a personal care health <laughs> expert, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, you you know right. a lot about how this town works. So talk about. I want to open the show with you and ask, tell us the story of what happened to your son who was shot by the police fatally and and what you've done. Talk about the website. Just a brief history just of me personally. Um, Like I say, I'll be 62 years old coming up soon, um, next month actually. So I've been around, living in the Portland area for a number of years. And in the process of that, I've done a lot of things. Oh, everything going all right? Yes. All good? Okay, just making sure. Yeah, so I've done a lot of things. I've, as far as music-wise, I've always played music since I was seven years old. But at the same time, I was boxing, I was swimming, doing high dives. So I've always been athletic as well, too. And so, but I was at, actually at the age of seven, two, I was an entrepreneur. 
and stuff. My first job was selling donuts to senior citizens on my little bike <laughs> route, something I created. So I, you know, so I've always kind of been headstrong like that. My mom always gave me this guideline, and that was before kids. See, nowadays I was I would have been one of those kids where my parents would have probably been in jail because of the fact that what is he doing outside by himself? See, nowadays, if you do that, if you let your kid go down the street by themselves, somebody's going to call it and put them up, you know. Where did you grow so, up? What was the street? Cook Street, Northeast Union Avenue and Cook Street. All right, go that ahead. That was my Keep neighborhood, going. so yeah. I'm still in the neighborhood as well, too. My studio, my music studio's in the neighborhood. So I've been there for a while, you know, and I've seen a lot of people. I was around during the times when the hippie and yippie riots went on, when the bombings of McDonald's. So I've seen we a lot had of bombings in Portland. Mm-hmm. We, we right. forget our history like that. It's yeah, amazing. A lot of Racist. things took place that we really don't, you know, a lot of people, it's, it's kind of been erased in the sense of because it's kind of like this, this whitewash that came over the city. And so out of sight is out of mind. And the less knowledge you know about something that took place before, the more you can add things that you want to put in life itself that you don't want, you know. And so that's it's kind of how do we create people's mental space itself stuff and so going in going on through there basically as we go up to the murder of my son like I said it was a murder 2000 February 28th my son he was um, he was he was in a situation where he was in a car he was driving um, police put the car over basically he jumped out of the car and took off running and in the process of him doing that he was shot in the back but in the <clears throat> Excuse me, but in the process of that, it wasn't even the matter of him being shot in the back. It was what took place after that itself. He was. They found him. They handcuffed him. They left his body. Left him laying there as he was dying. So he was actually living during the time. Medical was called because the medical, the um, fire department was only like four blocks away. Basically, they were called. They were brought to the scene, but they were not allowed in until over an hour and something after he was found. And so by that time, he had actually died in the process. And so, but a dead witness is the best witness in the com- when it comes to a situation like that, and when it comes to police m- m- murders. And at the same time, you gotta look at 1996, there wasn't the big internet wave, there wasn't a lot of things taking place, and there hadn't been a police murder in many years, so a lot of people really didn't know how to deal with that. They didn't know how to actually activate into coming together. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, there was a lot of forces that was against us because during that time, you got to realize that the city's purse strings were so strong back then that the purse strings held a lot of things together. And so people would not speak about what was taking place because they were too afraid to lose their jobs and to be put into a position to where they had to make a choice. Can but, we just stop there for just a mm-hmm. second? Um, um, I'm so glad you're here. If you just tuned in, this is The Radio Activist. I'm Lisa Loving. It's a brand new show. This is our first our first episode. We're live in Studio 2 with Teresa Rayford and Joe Bean Keller. We're listening to Joe Bean tell one of the most, I'm just saying, these are the important stories about how our, our city, Portland, Oregon, actually works. And you're saying that what I hear you saying is that um, back in the day, we're talking still, I guess we're talking about the 90s. There 90s. were people. The people who, there were people who could see what was happening, but they did not speak out because they were sort of in this system. Like, um, when I, what, I just want to dig into that. So you, what I hear you saying is like maybe consultants or policy people, maybe even elected officials or staff of institutions who didn't want to speak out. Yes, well, there were, and personal friends as well, too. And why I can say this is because I was a victim of it as well, too. Because like many people did not realize that Ever since high school in 1972, I worked for the city of Portland. 
city. And so, no, you know, most I worked parks and recreation during that time. So I was a city employee as well during that time. And your son was killed by the by state. The, your son the, was killed by the city. By the city. Right. I mean, I just, so. I'm just, I'm lingering here because we talk so much about how do we make social change happen. What I hear people saying now, and I've had too much coffee, um, is that we need to elect people to be in the right places to do blah 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 blah. And I'm suggesting to you that I think that there's more to know about that, and that we sometimes elect people to situations, or we hire them to situations, and we scatter people who are, we know to be effective in institutions where they are afraid to speak out. And I'm a, I, I just want to, I'm flagging mm-hmm. that because I think we're still doing it. And so, okay, we are talking with Joe Bean Keller about his son, Deontay Keller, how he was um, uh, fatally shot by the Portland police. And you were talking about the activism. You started to get involved. Right, and- I, started get, I started to get involved because I had, like I said, I really had no choice because what happened was during that time after this took place, I, as being an employee of the city, but at the same time, I was a live TV host on Northeast Spectrum as well, too, mm-hmm. and stuff. And so, Renaissance then, guy. Right. So you got to realize that I was in a position to where I had live television at my access. So let, there's some stories that were, that were going to be coming out in my book, but I kind of touch on them right now that people really don't know. I mean, how deep this actually got. I was blackballed by the city. I was put on the ledge list. And that's for those who don't know, that's the law enforcement data list basically for that's and so basically I couldn't even get hired as a bus driver. See, and so then at the same time as I was having my deposition with my attorney's office and the city attorneys, I was um scheduled to um so the city attorney asked a question like, Where do you work at right now? And I was like, Well, I'm actually scheduled to go back to work at Matt Dishman Community Center. The city attorneys looked back at each other and so forth, and before you know it, they're like, um, something's wrong here. Two weeks later, the person who hired me back at Matt Dishman was sent somewhere else. They brought an African-American young man in to take, the, take her place, basically. His job was to fire me. Mm. I mean, yes. I, I, these, I just want to, for people that are listening right now, part of the reason why this stuff happens this way is that so many people move here, they have no idea the history. If you're listening, you may not know anything about I mean, the city of Portland. Right. This is how we do business. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. And so his job was to hire me, in which that took place, basically. And I still have the letter. I have all these things and documented and so forth. And um, and that, But that was his responsibility, and that's why they did that, because there was no, no way in which I'm in the process of a multimillion-dollar lawsuit against the city. Am I going to be working for these people as well, too? And so that's just a short snippet in that. And then you got to remember, going back to the television station, being live on air, even the other hosts that were a part of Northeast Spectrum never even knew what took place with me. I was there, the, the vice president of, of the company brought me in and, and made a little, had a little discussion with me and told me that. He said, well, I'm sorry, but since the city's budget is part of our budget, basically, we cannot have you talk discussing your son's you know, situation on air anymore. And so you are blackballed, you're censored, um, you are, the people around you basically are also impacted. Right. And probably people who really just want a good job with the city and do a good job, they're actually being used as stooges. I'm just, stooges. I, you know, yes. I, I have to put this out because mm-hmm. we don't see a lot of coverage of this kind of thing anymore in the city of Portland, but I would really be super surprised. We, we know it still happens yeah. because we hear the gossip about it, but we don't see it reflected in the media. But I these were friends, that's fine. These were, these, and these were friends of mine that right. had to do this. Mm-hmm. Because the gentleman they they hired in, he had to give the letter. To have the had his somebody else that was working. There was a friend of mine to serve the letter to me. 
because she had to type it up and give it to me. And they were long years. They, they've been employees for the city of Portland for you know over 20 years. But like, hey, you got to remember, I started in 72. And so, I mean, so there's a lot of things that took place, you know, and then like I said, going back to the television station, um, the, the vice president ended up after, it's about two weeks later, all of a sudden, Northeast Spectrum had never been high, been, um, we had all been, the host had ran the program. We had never had any overseer or anything. All of a sudden now, here comes this white overseer overseeing Northeast Spectrum. Mm. Okay, the other, ho- the, the other host didn't quite understand it, but since I'm knowing what's going on, I'm saying, saying okay, here comes, a, here comes okay. something. So then one day I get inside, um, we're in a, in a meeting and stuff, and I'm just kind of seeing him, he's kind of just keep eyeballing me and stuff, and he's explaining himself, yes, we're at Northeast Spectrum, and they're ready to go into this new, you know, direction, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's always been black controlled, it's always been ever since from day one since his conception, basically, and now all of a sudden this white guy comes in and is gonna try to tell five black hosts how to basically run their shows. Okay, so as we're going, one day he, gets, he calls me in and um, having this little meeting, he says, Joe, um, there's gonna. I'm so sorry. There's gonna be some changes and stuff in Northeast Spectrum and stuff. And so we're kind of, because we were initially in a four holes rotation, then we moved into a five holes and stuff. And so he's like, yeah, we're talking about. They've wanted to run the station back into a four holes rotation, you know. So we're gonna have four holes. So on the seniority situation, you know, we're gonna have to um, alleviate one of the holes. Dot. So first, and so I'm just letting him just continue to run his mouth, run his mouth, run his mouth, you know, and so, because I'm fine with it and stuff. And so then after he gets done with all his apology, you know, apologies and everything else, then I looked at him, I just said, um, I'm sorry, but I forgot, I think they forgot to tell you something. I've been here three and a half years, Dick Bogle's been here for a year and a half, so that means that he should be out and I'm still in rotation, correct? All of a sudden, that white man turned so damn red. Because they hired him without giving him all the information mm-hmm. that he needed. Because his job was to fire me. He's a hatchet man. He was a hatchet man. Was that was that cable access television at the time? No, that was that was wasn't cable access. That was um, Paragon. 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 So, um, right, you know, our, what, how we watch TV now is different than it was then. Correct. I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, how old you are if you're listening right now. Um, okay. So it, it, it's actually a really big deal when we had community access to television. We do have Portland Community Media, which is awesome, and I think it's got a different name now. Oh, but I'm just checking name. in yeah. with you because these were media access um, channels yeah. that were supposedly created, and you probably don't remember this either, but um, when cable negotiations happened back in the 80s, in the 80s um, municipalities made deals with the cable corporations in exchange for giving them monopolies over the airwaves. And these cable corporations did get some funding from municipalities. Correct. And so kind of that actually, um, Joe Bean. So, okay, just to recap for people, your son gets fatally shot. I think he was fatally mm. shot in the back Correct. In by the Portland back. police officers. A lot of times when we see articles like that, we just assume, oh, that family must be criminal. But what you're talking about is, well, actually, you are an employee of the city of Portland. I, I think that the shootings are not all happening to criminal families. I really want to talk about that later because this issue of the street violence and the police violence, there's so many stereotypes, but that's why we're listening to Joe Bean's whole story. So mm-hmm. we always assume, well, if, if that person got shot, they deserved it. And so, um, but I'm saying, now we're understanding um, the, the city of Portland's employee killed your son and now you can't even do anything about it just because you're standing there, literally, standing there being the father of this son. All these things fall on you and you didn't even have to do anything really right. honestly well, yeah. um i wish this was uh i wish this was uh, an unusual situation so now i'm i'm gonna say so all right so you get blackballed from the community from the um enter com, from the from K- paragon from cable right but then i but what happened was that um 
the show went on until it went off the air. So it's, and we stayed in a five-host rotation. So none of the other hosts, so Dick Bogle never got fired. So nobody else, see, mm-hmm. that's why I knew it was set up. That show was because, actually really beloved and really right. important. And so it was actually. on the BET channel. I mean, you know, people would get mad because we all of a sudden BET videos be on and all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, these spectrum of pop on is like, you know, but hey. It, it is actually it, really important. And I have to say, you, if you're listening, again, a lot of people have moved here. A lot of people are moving here in their, in their larger numbers and they don't know the history. So Dick Bogle was the second African-American man, I think, that was ever elected to the Portland City Council. I yeah. think there's only ever been um, Dick Bogle and um, Charles Jordan. Charles Jordan. Right. Um, so that's what we're talking about. And he here. was a police officer as well, too. Dick Bogle, mm-hmm. I think, was right. one of the first African American police officers, not the first one. Right. So, and he um, was actually kind of discredited for sexually harassing um, uh, a staff woman so, who went on to be uh, an important um, uh, development official in her own right. right. This is KBOO Portland. You are listening to The Radio Activist. I'm Lisa Loving. This is our first show. And we're live in the studio with Teresa Rayford and Joe Bean Keller. We're talking about one of the most crunchy, difficult issues that Portland, Oregon, and other places has to deal with. We're talking about police violence and street violence. We haven't even gotten to the street violence yet. And so, I have to say, Teresa, she's been a part of Deontay's life. She grew up, you know, we yeah. are, we're all we're all family. We, we've been yeah. a part of each other's life ever since and stuff. Yeah. I grew Her up mom. knowing Joe Bean my entire life. He grew up with my aunties, my uncles. Right. Um, I, Deontay was like my cousin, him and Demarcus and Ivy. Like, I never knew that they wasn't my cousins until we got older. And then we knew, you know, basically who parents was and everything else. But this was always my family. And the same year Deontay got murdered, I left town. I left a couple of months later because I couldn't stomach being here. I was like, this ain't normal. You know, like, I got to get my kids out of here because they're going to grow up thinking this is okay. Because we had the gang violence going on. We had community violence going on. But then the police are killing us, too. And it seemed like that attitude around us being murdered, like Joe being said, um, it separated the community because in our community, you do have the haves and the have-nots. You do have people that are emboldened and empowered by a system that oppresses us. And you have people that are building liberation through arts and communication that are trying to wake up another generation like my whole community when I was a child um, people when I moved to Texas they thought I was militant and I was like where would I get that from I'm from Portland but I did grow up to honor myself and to know my community and to understand my life and the politics around living in poverty and being black so and I got that from people just like Joe Bean him my parents my grandparents you know, every experience matters, and I love you, and I'm you I'm too. still sorry for Deontay. You know, we have an image of him right up at my office, so um, I never forget that. That was the first person I ever cared about that got murdered by the police because it was bu- during my generation. He was my little relative. Right. <laughs> there's a point in there's a point in this conversation where, honestly, as a middle-aged white woman, I just. I just I just sit there and, and try to take it in, right? Um, we read I, because the other piece of this that I have to put out there is that I mean, I'm a journalist. I have been a journalist in this town for decades, and I know the people who cover these issues, right? At the at the newspapers, the radio stations, the television, and they don't understand what they're doing. Right. I have to say that. If you're listening, y'all, I love you, but you don't get what you're doing. And we see these articles where people are named, and maybe they're half named, maybe their name's wrong. They're human, you know, human beings, and we don't get this sense of um, the enormity of the crisis. Okay, I have a colleague named um, James Crittenden. 
James Crittenden is a genius. He's a media genius, right? Um, but he works construction in Vegas, probably because he was born and raised in Portland, actually, um, is the reason why. And he um, he created a Facebook page that's called Portland Gone and Not Forgotten. Portland okay. Lost and Not Forgotten. There is more compassionate information on that page about who we've lost. Because, you know, if you're just if you're just a white person like me, I guess that I, I'm a 55-year-old white woman. This is the single most common demographic in the United States right now. Yay. Mm-hmm. But But people, my friends... Um, when you start reading these articles in the media, right, um, you really don't get this whole story. Right. And some of these, some of the people we're losing are some of the best and brightest in our communities. We look around, our town can't even keep the streets paved right. Okay. And we're literally losing some of our best and brightest people. But as I pick up the newspaper or watch the news, Mm-hmm. You don't understand that's who you're losing. And, and again, as someone like me, I'm probably the most common kind of taxpayer in this town. You literally don't know what you don't know. Right. I mean, can you, can you talk about that a little? I mean, and also, what should people be doing? Well, it's, it's kind of, it's, see, what happens is that in Portland, we're living, you know, there's a, not a lot of people who have, they're not front, they're, we have frontliners, and then we have sideliners, and then we have backseaters and stuff. And so, by our numbers being so small here in the city, you know, it's hard to find enough frontliners to actually get act, get actively involved in which most Tell people me should be doing. what that means. I bet there's someone listening right now that's a frontliner and they don't know it. Well, it's a lot of people, like even after the, the murders that just happened this past week, that will get online and will voice their opinions about what should be done and how people should respond. And a lot of times I don't even think that they're mindful that the families haven't even had an opportunity to bury their loved ones, much less kind of orchestrate and strategize around the death or the loss and also impeding upon a community that's also triggered by these murders. Um, I think that is just very inconsiderate, um, especially when they're not doing their research or their homework. They're not connecting with the movements that are happening locally. They're looking from a, a, a perspective of you know social media. They're looking at pictures. Uh, they're hearing stuff in their communities, but they're not showing up. Um, I know in my organization, a lot of people are always saying things like, um, you know, why don't you, you know, support the black on black crime? Why aren't you doing something about that? Because audits matter, you know, because the fact that we are losing children, period, matters to me. And then when we're paying a city bureau to murder our children and also effectively working within that same system to obligate people to criminalize the children uh, through our education system and other resources, um, that partnership is to the detriment of all of our safety. And we need to be looking at what work is being done by what organizations, what are family members needing and how do you participate, not what you see on social media. We don't have time to market and promote what we're doing in the community um, online. If you see that there's events happening, show up. If you're a family member or a relative of somebody that's been advocated for by us, you have to realize that the reason we continuously present our platforms is so that we can have that obligation and we can secure whatever needs are necessary. When families contact us, they need legal support. They need funding for funerals. They need assistance with understanding the process of what happening when they lose their child and no one wants to be popular um, because they're assisting people who have lost their children. You never want a phone call. You know? 
If, if you're even able to sleep after such a tragedy has happened to you already, you're one of the people that realize that your work and the way that you're giving back into your community is what gives you the opportunity to sleep at night. But you don't want to take those phone calls. You don't want to have to be able to show up. And it is a reality that we don't have the leadership showing up with us. There's a lot of organizations and agencies that get millions of dollars uh, for social change work and to deal directly with our community to stop the violence but they don't even obligate themselves to show up in in support of community members like Joe Bean or like myself or other people that are out here. Um, the media's <coughs> obligation to telling the truth about our stories, you can't get them to come to a training or a workshop or a meeting that we're having, but they will show up at a protest and they'll promote everything that happens. They'll show the images. There's things happening behind those images. There's a lot of heart earned. You know, we're, we're using every part of ourselves to change our future, and audits do matter. Look at what's happening in the city because of the work that we're doing. You are listening to KBO Portland. It's so interesting what you just said, Teresa. Teresa Rayford, Don't You Portland, was just speaking. But, um, you know, when I had to have my friend Jamila tell me, well, what Gil Scott Heron meant when he said the revolution will not be televised is that the revolution is not the protest in the street. That's right. The revolution is the meeting that you think is too boring to go to. Or the one where you're complaining, where I'm complaining about the weird green wrap sandwiches instead of fruit. That's me. I'm going to be complaining about the food. And that's why... Um, that's why I wanted to bring this show, The Radio Activist, on the air, because I feel so strongly that we're just disconnected. If mm -hmm. we could even find one place to put activism information, it would be revolutionary in itself. So anyway, if you're listening, if you are working on police accountability or street violence, call us and tell us what the heck you're doing. The number to call is 503-231-8187. Eight seven. Call us up with your activist event. We'll read it on the air. And um, I want see. I never even heard the whole end of the um, Joe Bean story because you're writing a book, and now I'm going to be sitting here waiting for it. <laughs> I'm going to be waiting for it. Well, the story. I mean, that's not even. I just hit the the tip of the iceberg actually with yeah. that. I mean, this it goes a little bit deeper and stuff when it goes to um, really what took place. Like say, once my son was left and died, basically, you know that it, it set off a whole, trigger, triggered a bunch of other things as well too. And so in the process of that, my other son, his brother DeMarcus, basically kind of, he closed up. He closed up and it really, it affected him to the point to where he developed lupus. And from the lupus, he died. So in 2013, he died. So basically the one bullet killed two. Did he need a transplant? He needed a no. His it w he could that wouldn't have shut helped. the whole thing down. Yeah, it, it wouldn't have helped. He he did dialysis for three and a half years, and his whole body basically just shut down. So transplant wasn't even because the lupus was it would have took taken over the the other kidneys and stuff. So once his kidneys failed, basically, and so so there's a whole lot of you know that went along with that. And plus there was like I say it, there was a multi million dollar lawsuit that had been pending and so forth. Three months before it was time to go to court, three and a half months before it was time to go to court, uh, I get a letter from my attorney. My attorney actually had asked the judge to dismiss him, and Judge Janice Stewart allowed that to take place after three and a half years of preparation on the case. Basically, come to, what I come to find out is that the city had been paying him all the time. So 
it was paid. He was paid to basically veer this. So people understand. And so what I and so why I say this and why I tell these people, if I wasn't who I was, if I wasn't an entrepreneur, if my job, if my life only depended upon working for somebody or something like that, I'd have probably. I don't. I'm not sure what I would have did. I mean, some people have said. Uh, they would have not, might have committed suicide. They might have just because life would have been over for them because all the things that they knew mm-hmm. were gone, were taken away from them. But for me, it just made me stronger as an entrepreneur, so it made me a stronger. So, so that's why I do what I do now, and I do it so well because of the fact that I was prepped to make things happen. That's Joe Bean Color. Um, this is KBOO. We have two callers. Let's. We've got Francis on the. Francis, what's going on? Hey, hey. Hey. I'm two of people that I admire greatly in this city. I'm happy that you're on air today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the Keaton Otis's vigil, which has been going on for eight years since he was murdered by the police in May 12th, um, eight years ago, is this coming Friday at 6 o'clock, and it's been continuous since it, his father, Fred Bryant, started it um, every month on the 12th of each month. And it's near the Lloyd Center. At 6 o'clock at 6th and Halsey, where he was executed. He was shot 23 times by the police. He's a very good friend of my son's. They grew up together. And it still kind of pains me to talk about it. But um, an excellent young man who was profiled by the police and followed and boxed and stopped and um, executed. There's so many stories like that in this city that, you know, people get the impression that Portland is a progressive liberal city. Mm-hmm. Correct. I call Correct. it I call it schizophrenic. And um, what annoys me the most about people in leadership of our city such as the former mayor, Barry Katz, is that they know exactly, exactly what's going on, but they like to pretend like they don't know. Correct. I, recall, I, I, I recall question if Ted Wheeler knows. I'm he not knows. clear he does. Oh, okay. You probably told him. Never mind. Oh, Go ahead. He knows. He knows. Go ahead. You know, I, I, if you've lived in the city long enough, you should know. If you pay attention, you should really know. Right. And, and to pretend like you don't is the most annoying thing to me. Um, I recall one time when Vera Katz was having a meeting, I think it was at one of her debates or something when she was running for re-election or whatever, and I asked her what she was going to do about the racial profiling, because my kids and all their friends in their own neighborhood had been raped profiled, I don't know how many times, just right. walking around their own neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, well, I need to see numbers. So I asked her, how many kids do you want me to bring to you that have been profiled to tell you how many times they've been profiled? And of course, that's not the number she was looking for. So years later, the numbers came out to to validate what everybody had been saying for Mm -hmm. years. And what did they do about it? Nothing. Nothing. Well, well, that that was a part of it. I mean, I mean, they knew the numbers back then and stuff. And so it was just a matter they knew it sooner or later the numbers would have to come out. But if they would have dealt with it, back then it would have been a different story i want to jump in and be super specific say why people say black lives matter because for some reason they didn't matter to these people francis it's always so good to hear your voice and i just really appreciate your calling and i'm glad you have the show thank you 
Thank you. And um, I do want to be super specific about that, though, because I'm an information hoarder, right? So I was working at the Scanner newspaper. I feel like it was 2001, 2002, or 2003. And the um, district attorney at the time, it was... Mr. Shrunk, and another person came and they brought this report. It was called the Blue Ribbon Committee Committee. Report on Racial Profiling. And so that was literally about 15 years ago, and I will never forget what Shrunk said. You know what? I always liked that guy. Um, He said, when you have 40% of the state penitentiary coming from the same few zip codes in North and Northeast Portland, you know you've got a problem. problem. I have spent all the years since looking for that. Mm-hmm. I have spent all the years since looking for something that would list the addresses of people who were incarcerated. You and won't find that's it. no, I'm not going to find it. Find so it. there's data, and then there's data, and you are listening to KBOO Portland. Mm-hmm. We have another caller, Edie. Edie, what's going on? I'm so Hello, sorry. Edie. I'm just cranky now. Edie, <laughs> welcome. Um, I would suggest that you look at Portland's Resistance website on our platform on police accountability. Okay. I'm encouraging everybody to vote for, do everything you can to promote Canvas Call Bank for Joanne Hardesty, who has spent over 25 years for police accountability and has got great ideas and great teamwork. I recommend that we do all we can to support and pray for and protect Dan Handelman and City Cop Watch, um, and you look on that website. Well, Dan Handelman's not with Rose City Cop Watch, but go ahead. He's with Portland Cop Watch. Go ahead. Yeah, Portland Cop Watch, and you um, look on the website and you'll see some of the statistics over the decades of of police murders. Um, And that we also look at missing and murdered uh, First Nations, which are almost always not. having a, a, um, the community aware of and acting on. And um, I also encourage folks to give support to the, the Pacific Northwest Family Circle of members that have um, beloved ones murdered by cops. If you don't, if it's not appropriate to show up, give money, give food, give uh, art supplies you know, for the kids. Um, And also look at a lot of the folks dealing with different addictions. It's because of pain, because of abuse, um, interpersonally, but also systemically and police brutality. All right, Edie, I just really want to thank you a lot. We're going to get back to the show, and I appreciate your call. Um, Edie was filled with um, ideas for how to get involved. I also want to jump in there and say that actually this Friday is the ninth annual Teaching with Purpose conference. Correct. We're talking about police accountability and stuff like that, but you cannot talk about um, you can't talk about police accountability and violence without talking about the education system. So I have to say that the um, right. Teaching with Purpose conference is a very big deal. Incredible. Our friend already talked about the Keaton Otis vigil. It's it's, it's um, uh, Francis was talking about that. It's this Friday at six at Northeast Sixth and Halsey. Um, there are a few other things happening. There's the rally against denaturalization. That's Saturday at two at McAdam Avenue. That's at the ICE headquarters there. If okay. you haven't been to the ICE headquarters, go check them out. That is some gnarly stuff. And um, there's a few people that are having events to support candidates. That's great. There's at the Middleman Jewish Community Center on Sunday, there's War Criminals Not Welcome Here. That seems really cool. Mm. That's at 6. 